of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thanks for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro through the multiverse. As always, I am your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, and you have reached the podcast exclusively talking comic books and comic book animation. Thanks everyone for joining us for episode 91. I'm going to briefly explain the rules, then we're going to get right down to it. Rule number one, comic book animation. I say it every week. It's a no-brainer. Rule number two, huge fan of the old team-up comic books. DC Comics presents Marvel team-up, Marvel 2-in-1. So every week, I'm teaming up with a guest, and we are talking comic book animation. Rule number three, most important, we gotta have fun. Alright, before we get into this week's topic, I'm gonna bring out my guest first time here on the multiverse. He is the co-host of the podcast Comics and Chronic. Welcome to the multiverse, Anthony. Excited to be here, Matt. This is, uh, yeah, like you said, my first time here, and I uh, hope it's not the last because uh, it already seems like we're getting along. So I'm, uh, I'm ready to talk about King. Yeah, no, I've yet to, uh, <laughs> I've yet to have a guest on and say, nope, that guy's never coming back. He's banned for life. <laughs> I hope not. So this week we uh, discussed, uh, we had a few back and forth, and then uh, we figured. With the new film, Ant-Man 3, coming out today, we would discuss the one, the only, Kang the Conqueror. Kang, yeah, yeah, yeah. A character that, you know, I uh, was talking to uh, my co-host about, and it seems like, you know, that that's also a character, like, we haven't experienced much in the comics as readers. Like, for me, I've, I've seen him pop up a few times, but my first experience with him is, in fact, the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes show. I, I like him as a character, and I feel like, you know, the way the cartoon approaches him, like, especially this episode that we're talking about, like, gives you all you need to know about him right in, like, that little that little story. It, it's so well written. I love this episode. Kang, I think, I have kind of vague memories over the years. I honestly was thinking about it. I think Secret Wars might have been the first comic book I ever read that mm. Kang appeared in. I feel like I read an Avengers story before that, but I couldn't think of <laughs> Of it, so the earliest thing I could think of is reading Secret Wars, which, spoiler alert, he gets killed in that thing. Yeah, <laughs> of course he's been killed in a in a lot of uh, a lot of things. You notice now how uh, in the last year everybody now is uh, the world's biggest Kang fan. Uh, Kang fan, <laughs> Kang fan. We got Kang fans coming out of the woodworks all of a sudden. Yeah, I feel like whenever like you know there's that new character introduced, like, suddenly there's a fan base for it, which is cool. I mean, let's rally around these characters that we haven't been talking about. But you know, Jonathan Majors, his small performance in Loki, I think convinced a lot of people that you know we're ready for that live action Kang. So I like to see that he's getting that treatment. You know, wasn't a big fan of him in Loki, but when I saw the Ant Man trailer, I was like. Jesus Christ, he's the best part of this trailer. He looks yeah. like like so badass in that trailer. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely what I'm looking forward to most in that movie. Like I'm, I'm I really want to see uh, Major's performance. So we're gonna go into a little bit of the history of Kang before we get to the particular animation created by the legends Stanley and Jack Kirby. It's kind of weird because he first appeared as Kang back in Avengers issue eight in 1964, but technically he's also Rama Tut who first appeared in Fantastic Four number 19. And he also later on was retconned to be Immortus as well. Right. So there's a lot of convolution. <laughs> and, and I think he's in other alternate versions. Like I think the Scarlet Centurion is an alternate version of Kang. Yeah. And there's probably others that I'm not even aware of. So going back to like comics I've actually read Kang in, um, one of my first experiences in a comic with Kang is Young Avengers. Uh, he's a villain in it, but the way he ties into it is because Iron Lad, who's like, you think it's like a Tony Stark protege or something. He's actually like young Kang from the future, but he knows what, like he's, he knows about Kang. He knows what Kang will become. He doesn't want to be Kang. He wants to be his own, like better version. 
so I, I like that uh, version of Kang, but there's so many to choose from that he could be like such a mainstay in like the MCU. He's, I believe, from the Ramutut version was from the year 3000, going back to ancient Egypt, which <laughs> I can only assume they, I, I can't remember, I haven't read that comic in a while, but I have to assume they saw him as some kind of god. Otherwise, why is this white guy going back to ancient Egypt <laughs> and becoming the ruler? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. And then later on when he, uh, Kang, the version of Kang, I guess, uh, is another thousand years in the future and he comes from the year uh, 4,000. Now I'm going to admit to not being the, the authority in the knowing all things Kang, but I believe he's a descendant of Reed Richards, Nathaniel Richards. And I don't know if that was from the get-go or if that is a retcon from later on. I feel like that's definitely a retcon. I've also, like, in recent years, there's been comics where they kind of hint at that he could be a descendant of Dooms. Like, they changed that yes, around. Yes, I believe I remember reading that as well. Yeah, so that's cool. I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't like that, but I like that there's the mystery. Like, don't ever tell us who he, whose descendant he is, actually. I, I kind of like that, you know, he could be, you know, either of those. But, yeah, generally speaking, they've they've said that he's Nathaniel Richards. Yep. And there was that Roger Stern Avengers story they did where Kang was killing alternate versions of himself. So at this point, you don't even really know which is the original Kang from Avengers 8 and who's the current version. Oh, nice. I, I, I need to read that one. Is that is that Kang Dynasty? Is that what that one is? I think so. Uh, I think it was like the 270s area of the original Avengers run, if I remember correctly. I haven't read it in a while, but. Yeah, they were killing other versions of Kang. I mean, plus there's been the Avengers Forever series, and I'm sure with all new, all different, that I'm sure there's been so many. When you got a time-traveling character as it is, even without the typical comic retcons, I'm sure he's been retconned over and over again. Yep. Yeah, Kang, like I said, he's he can't he you know he can't ever go away. You know, like he he has such lasting power for that reason. I love it. And I read this too, and I don't know how true this is, which I found kind of fascinating is. Apparently, because he was Ramu Tut, the actual uh, rights were owned by Fox because he was considered a Fantastic Four property. And it wasn't until Disney bought the Marvel stuff back from Fox that they were able to bring Kang into the MCU. Wow, I didn't know that. Now, really? Granted, I, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It was going, looking around different sites. So I don't know for technically, I don't know 100% that is true. Uh -huh. But that is kind of interesting. So then. I guess it's lucky that happened. Otherwise, I don't know who the villain of the next phase of the MCU would be. Yeah, good point. Good point. I mean, you know, a lot of people are hoping for Galactus, but he he can't be the guy that's like the big bad in that way. I feel like Galactus, you know, doesn't he's just a, like a force of nature. He wouldn't like if you're doing the phases, obviously, Kang has a master plan that it's going to, you know, culminate in. He's obviously going to like be going through time, like taking out Avengers, I'm sure. But yeah, he he's the perfect next villain. For the MCU, absolutely. Since we discuss uh, animation here, based on comic books, we're going to talk about Kang's first appearance on the cartoon Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. And this was actually your suggestion to watch this particular cartoon. And is it because of this episode, or are you just a fan of this in general? I mean, I'm a huge fan of this. Uh, I feel like, you know, I grew up with, like, the golden age of animated comic book tv you know obviously x-men animated series spider-man animated series batman the animated series you could even say justice league and i feel like avengers earth's mightiest heroes is the same caliber of those shows i feel like whenever i bring it up to like other friends of mine who are comic book fans or have like watched those series they seem to have never seen this and i feel like it was a great way for me to like like i maybe you know i haven't read all the old classic avengers stories but the way they like uh, adapt them to in this series is great for newcomers, but also just, it's just so good. The animation's great. The voice acting's great. It's just such a high caliber show. And like I said, it was my first experience seeing Kang and it does such an amazing job of introducing you to Kang. Now it's going to be interesting for me because I just did an episode on Avengers Assemble. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to have a compare and contrast when you've watched them so close to each other, as opposed to, you know, in the day when it was years apart. Well, not years, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I actually never, I've never seen Avengers Assemble. Well, of the three ones I've seen, there's Avengers United We Stand, Avengers Assemble, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. United We Stand is, is terrible. In fact, 
it makes almost every top 10 worst <laughs> superhero cartoon list that you've ever seen. Uh, Avengers Assemble, I did it. It was, I found it middle of the road. It, like, there's nothing really wrong with it, but nothing stands out as being, it doesn't knock your socks off. And it's heavily based on the MCU version of the Avengers more, where this Avengers Assemble is more based on the classic lineup with a few changes. Yeah, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, I remember back in the day, like they it seemed like they ended it because it was so dissimilar from the MCU and they wanted to move over to Assemble to make it more streamlined, I guess, which is a shame. But, you know, if Disney Plus is making all these these or just streaming services in general, bringing back shows, this show deserves a third season. Like there's so much more they could do. I agree. Now, it originally uh, debuted in a, on Disney XD. It ran from 2010 to 2012. Uh, it was Marvel Animation with Film Roman and Ingenious Media, developed by Asiro Niley, Joshua Fine, and Christopher Yost. Supposedly looking it up, they were originally, um, most of the, the writers and producers were working on a Hulk-proposed animation Ooh. And suddenly in the middle, they just, I don't know if it was the power of the bee or Joe Quesada, they suddenly shifted gear and decided they were going to do an Avengers cartoon. I can only assume because they knew the film was going to be coming soon, so might as well get ahead of it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting because, yeah, the, I mean, the show gives everyone the spotlight, but I feel like I could see how they really, you know, love the Hulk. There's a lot of Hulk-centric things happening in that series. And uh, it does, uh, I'm told, uh, ends rather abruptly. Explained because of the shift to Avengers Assemble. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a shame. Like it did, I felt like it deserved way more, especially because you know it's quality. Like I never found myself, you know, being like, "Oh, this is a boring episode." You know, it just is consistent. Well, it's definitely good from the episodes I've seen and the research I've done. Is they've included a lot of characters from the MCU. Um, not only Avengers, but other characters showed up. Uh, first appearance in animation of the Guardians of the Galaxy was actually on Avengers. Earth's Mightiest Heroes before the film ever came out. Yeah, and they're in like their uh that Dan Abnett, um, Andy Lanning, like purplish suits, like and, and Rocket Raccoon has an Australian accent, because in the comics they used to say he had that, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, but it did, did end in 2012. We're gonna go back to January 9th, 2011, The Man Who Stole Tomorrow. Yeah. Which is the first appearance of Kang. To my knowledge, I don't think he's on Avengers United We Stand. Now, interestingly enough, uh, and it's not credited anywhere, I found back in the late 70s, 80s, Marvel released a series of pocket novels where there were shorter, little, small paperbacks based on Marvel Comics. And uh, I found one that Dave, I don't know how to say his name, comic writer Dave, uh, I think it's Michelini, I believe is his name, uh, who co-created Venom. He wrote a Kang pocket novel entitled The Man Who... Stole tomorrow. Oh, cool. <laughs> I I mean, maybe it's just an amazing coincidence, but it's not credited in the episode anywhere. And But it seems like too big of a coincidence to not be at least somewhat influenced by that novel. Right. I mean, because it's... it's So I've read like the first appearance of Kang. It actually, I think this week, it, they came out with like a facsimile version of that Avengers issue where they, you know, Kang's first appearance. Like you said, he first appears as a Rama Tut. And they even say that in like the... And like a caption box, like you might have seen him as blah, blah, blah. But the show didn't seem to directly adapt that. Um, so I wonder if The Man Who Stole Tomorrow is a, a bit different. But it does say it's based on Avengers 8. So Yeah, it does say that. So they do give them credit for that. Um, okay, here we go. This is the description of the Puck novel. This came out in 1979. It says that the six members of the Avenger band together to save the life of Captain America, living legend, as they travel... 2,000 years into the future and come face-to-face with the unimaginable villainy of Kang the Conqueror, descendant of Doctor Doom. Mmm. So, I don't mean, you tell me, how uh, similar do you think that is to the episode that we're about to watch? I mean, I I just love that they said the descendant of Doctor Doom thing, bringing that right back up. (laughs) So, uh, this was written by Andrew Robinson, directed by Sebastian Montez. Uh, I normally I go down some of the voice credits, and but I'm not going to go through every character. I'm going to go through the main credited characters of Iron Man, Captain America, and Kang, because they're pretty much the main focus of this episode. Yeah. And Kang is voiced by a Jonathan Adams, but I couldn't find a lot of uh, 
voice credit for him. I even looked through the cast of this cartoon and a lot of people voiced other characters, but apparently he's this is the only person he voiced on the entire cartoon. So I couldn't find a lot. Like for example, like uh uh like the guy who does Thor does other voices on this cartoon and Iron Man as well, but Jonathan Adams couldn't find any any voice credit for him other than <laughs> than Kang on this episode. Interesting. I mean, his Kang is is so good, such a distinct voice. It, it it's like what you would picture Kang sounds like. It's yeah. It's, now Captain America is the main focus, and he obviously is created by Jack Kirby, uh, Joe Simon. Uh, Brian Bloom does his voice. Uh, he's done many voices in other Marvel cartoons. Uh, interestingly enough, he was the voice of Ultraman on the Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Oh, that's so cool. And he also does the voice of Hyperion when Squadron Supreme shows up on Avengers Assemble. Ooh. So apparently this guy's an expert on doing Superman knockoff characters. <laughs> <laughs> he did both Ultraman and Hyperion. Yeah. And then Iron Man, created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck. Eric Loomis does his voice, and I found his work. He does a lot of video game uh, voiceover work as well as he's done a lot of other animation as well. Nice. I liked him. Um, like, you know, he, he does his own Tony Stark, I think like in assemble and a lot of people after a lot of voice actors after like, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Did the role. I feel like they're always like cribbing from him or at least trying to imitate him in some way. Whereas this Tony Stark is like very much his own. Yeah. I've noticed, um, they borrow slightly from the iron cause the Iron Man movie, the first one had come out and I think, Iron Man 2 might have been out at this point in time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, voice-wise, he kind of does do his own thing, and he's not doing a Robert Downey Jr. impression, which you find a lot of times in some of these cartoons. Yeah, definitely appreciated. I also looked it up. uh, Critical-wise, this is pretty beloved. It had a 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Which I was surprised. But, and the audience score was 95% as well. So this is doesn't have a lot of detractors. This seems to be the best, what's considered the best of the Avengers cartoons. Yeah, no joke. I, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, I have no doubt that, uh, like, if it's just so well done. Like, everything, everything about that series. Like, you can't find anything wrong with it. Uh, the only critique I seem to find is some people say the animation's a little blocky on some of the character designs, but... Other than that, I, I dig deep, and I didn't find too many uh, too many people saying bad things about Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get the blockiness, especially. I mean, especially when you see Steve Rogers at the beginning of this episode, it's kind of funny. But on that note, we are going to take our break, and we are going to watch Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Man Who Stole Tomorrow, and we'll be right back to talk about it. Don't go anywhere. The Avengers are under attack. Lord Kang, the target is locked. By a new foe. Fire. I am Kang, the Conqueror. I have come from the 41st century to deliver a message to Captain America. They will sacrifice to save our world. Marvel, the Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Brand new next Sunday morning at 10, 9 central. Only on Disney XD. Yeah! Couldn't get a cab? No way, there's the Hulk. Hey, where are you guys going? They're going to McDonald's, where you can find eight of the greatest superheroes. Because with every hamburger Happy Meal you buy for $1.99, your kids get a superhero action toy. Like the Invisible Woman or the Web-Whipping Spider-Man. One with each Marvel superhero's Happy Meal you buy. Look, the Invisible Woman. Because had your break today. Huh, I didn't see her on the bus. Scott Lang, you're an Avenger. But down here, you're out of your league. King can shatter timelines. Everything you call a life will end. And you're not getting out. I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Ready PG-13, February 17th. Get tickets now. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice... So men did end up 
And we are back. First thing I got to note, this wouldn't stick in my mind so much if I hadn't just done that Avengers Assemble episode, but opening theme song on this is night and day, light years ahead of the garbage music on Avengers Assemble. Oh my God, I love the theme song for this show. That's the, another thing about it that's just so good. If you're going to have a great show, you need a great theme song, and, and this one slaps. It really does. Like It always hooks you in. It's just... It's a little long, and that's okay, too, and I've always loved the theme, you know? I'm always, that's not, you don't skip the intro for Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that's for sure. No, so I was just talking about that episode. I said how shows, especially a cartoon or anything like action-based, needs like a theme song that catches you in yes. right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, the classic example to me is Doctor Who. Like, what would Doctor Who be without that, <laughs> it, that intro that everybody knows and loves who's into science fiction? Yep. So we open in outer space, and a giant futuristic spaceship shows up with Kang, where they uh, they figure out that they've shown up early in the 21st century. Everybody else, I notice, is uh, they're kind of dressed like Kang as well. Not exactly, but they have Kang-inspired uniforms. Yep. Once he finds out where they are, he says, so it begins. And then we go to our opening credits, which like we just discussed. Just delightful. <laughs> One of the best. Uh, have they ever said where the name, I mean, if his name is, he's Nathaniel Richard, so where does the name Kang even come from? Have they ever said where he even came up with that moniker? Yeah, that's it. Like, so I did read, there was like a, a mini series where it, it's, again, like, like you said, Kang has killed multiple versions of himself and like, you never know which one is the Kang. This, this series is kind of like a recursive loop almost where like you get Kang a young king he's going through his life but he's trying to be better again but like he always just comes back around to becoming king and i think in there they might mention where he gets the name from but it's always like oh it's just kind of arbitrary you know like i feel like you know like nathaniel richard's cool like king like where does you know he's ramatai like he he has so many names i guess he's just a creative dude you know he just comes up with different names for himself he's bored I guess Nathaniel Richards, the Conqueror, just doesn't have the same ring that, <laughs> exactly. that Kang, the Conqueror. Has. It's marketing. He's a genius at marketing as well. Time travel, marketing. He knows his stuff. Now, we open an Avengers mansion, and to my knowledge in the comics, I haven't read Avengers in a little bit, but uh, that's not a thing anymore. Aren't they on Avengers Mountain now or something like that? Oh, last they were in, yeah, it was like in a, they were in a dead celestial. That was the, that was the Avengers headquarters. <laughs> They've come a um, long way, I guess. This is way off the stuff you need to hear in there. I always thought it was hilarious that it, if you look at the maps, Avengers Mansion is like two blocks away from the Hellfire Club. Like They literally are like right by each other and no one seems to care. Well, like, I, so there's never been like a panel where someone just walks or like Spidey swings by and, and makes that comment. That would be that would be hilarious. I never knew that. Like have the White Queen going out for like cappuccino or something, going across the corner and running to Hawkeye. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Stark and uh, Steve Rogers are hanging out, and you had mentioned it before the break. Cap is, like, enormous. Yeah. He is, like, the size of a house on this thing. He is so big. I, I was watching it with my wife. She's like, geez, he's as big as the Hulk. I'm like, yeah, kind of, the way they draw him. And uh, they get in discussion how uh, he says that Stark is a futurist who not only tries to predict the future, but tries to create it through technology and the direction of the planet. A little odd that they happen to be talking about that right before they're going to get into an adventure with a time traveler, but hey. What a coincidence. I just also like that scene because cause it's Steve Rogers making a good point. It's like Tony Stark doesn't know how to fight. Like You need to know how to fight. Like I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, and there's been like a whole Spider-Man arc where like Steve Rogers is also teaching like Peter Parker how to fight like in a similar kind of scene, like in a boxing ring in like Avengers Mansion. And um, once again, this show, like, it's a small detail, but it's like that would be the downtime for the Avengers. And it's just like a good scene between those characters, which the show is great at showing their relationship, uh, Tony and Steve. It's so good. I think Avengers stories, uh, when Tony and Steve are both there, really hinge on their dynamic. They have like a an Oliver Queen, Hal Jordan dynamic where they're best friends, but they, they really disagree on a lot of subjects. Yeah. And some writers can do it great. Some writers, uh, not so much. <laughs> it is weird that Tony is so against the idea of needing to train because he says 
he can predict how people are going to act and he's got five different armors for every situation. Because if you've read Iron Man over the time, they've done so many stories where he has no armor and he has to still find a way to resolve everything and fight. I mean, there was that one time he was on the desert island where he had to fight his own armor because <laughs> the armor had become sentient. So I don't know why he's so reluctant to get trained by Steve. Yeah, I think it's like the show's writing is great. I'm not I'm not like putting it down in any way, shape or form, especially this episode. But it's definitely a way to like get it to that point where it's like, well, see, you didn't know how to fight. You're relying on technology. But when the episode goes on, we'll see that it's not going to work at first. So we go to a training room where they're sparring and uh, Tony's pretty much just getting his ass kicked the entire time. Much to the delight of uh, Hulk and Hawkeye who are... who are watching and loving it. In fact, I think they do a fist bump at one point. Yep. Yeah, the show's Finally. funny too, especially when they'll use the Hulk to be like a monster, but they'll also have really funny moments, especially with those two characters. I like Hulk in the Avengers. I think there was the longest time he was never in the Avengers, even though he's a founding member. So I like yeah. when they try and incorporate him. But yeah, they are loving Tony getting his butt kicked. <laughs> but uh, he says uh, he's got his armor and he doesn't even need this. Uh, he kind of walks away dismissing the whole thing. And then we uh, switch over to Wasp, Giant Man, and Thor. Uh, they're bringing Blizzard to a prison. It was kind of a weird Fantastic Four reference from Thor in this scene. I'm assuming maybe that's either from a previous episode or leading into something else, maybe? It's actually the first time in the series you see the Fantastic Four. I think that's just them acknowledging, like, in the or Earth's Mightiest Heroes universe, that they're there somewhere. Okay, that makes a little more sense, because, yeah, at the time I thought it was a little weird. Not, <laughs> not, not a big fan of Blizzard's uh, costume design on this. Uh, yeah, I actually, I did. I don't know Blizzard. I've never read a comic where Blizzard has popped up, so I'm like, okay, Blizzard. He's been in versions of the Masters of Evil. He's been predominantly an Iron Man villain. Uh, he got killed a long time ago and i don't he was also called jack frost at one point <laughs> he got killed by the iron man of 2020 oh. in a story where he traveled back to our time i have no idea if that's been retconned or not so uh, yeah blizzard all right blizzard it's time for blizzard to make his return in the comics <laughs> um so uh and they make a reference to if i'm not mistaken the opening episode is when they had the big breakout of supervillains from a, a maximum security prison uh, which would be similar to the vault storyline from the comic books, I would assume, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And uh, they go through this door, which is number 42, which essentially takes them, kind of teleports them to which we find out later is the uh, is the negative zone. Yeah. Where, where they house all the criminals, where uh, Ultron is there. He's like the warden of the whole thing with a bunch of mini Ultrons. So I'm guessing, I have to assume they're at some point going to build up to Ultron goes evil at some point. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's literally, yep, what what it builds up to. But I wasn't sure. I mean, in the comics, I don't think Hank Pym did specifically that. Like, I know he has Ultrons, but I feel like it's also referencing uh, Civil War where Reed Richards has that exact negative zone prison for everyone he's capturing, whether they be villain. Like, it's just whoever's violating the, the superhero registration act. Uh, so I think it's pulling from that, like more like that 2008 storyline. Yeah, that makes sense because yeah, he, even though he he's created versions of Ultron, I don't remember any story where Hank Pym did it. So yeah, it's got to be borrowed from Civil War. They go back to uh, the mansion, and uh, Iron Man makes some comments about uh, Steve still using the old ways. Mm. And Steve says, uh, you know, it's always good to use the basics, and some things never change. So they have kind of a disagreement on uh where to go here if uh if tony tony's really reluctant <laughs> as always to <laughs> to do anybody else's way of thinking yeah again showing that dynamic like their but their philosophies are completely different but you know they're still getting along but that's where that conflict comes in and then we get our first interaction with kang who comes in on his big flying chair with a giant gun and he's there specifically uh for cap we get a big fight scene where uh, <laughs> Kang is pretty unstoppable, can pretty much do anything. He like phases, he's got force fields, he can like stop things in midair. Uh, he's not somebody you want to mess with. He stops Cap Shield in midair at one point. Yeah, he completely dominates the entire team. Black Panther's there, he can't do anything. Like whoever does something to Kang, they're just they find themselves losing. 
They and then they go back to uh, the negative zone. Wasp makes a comment about how there's a whole lot of Ultrons in this prison. So little uh, foreshadowing to things down the road. Then they get an SOS to go back to the mansion. When you go back to the mansion, Kang is still pretty much kicking their ass. There's nothing they can do to the guy. He's trying to have Jarvis analyze the uh, Kang's technology and his force field, saying how it's impenetrable. And the metal chair is uh, no technology Jarvis has ever seen. I don't like the fact that Jarvis has kind of been shafted in since they made him a computer. Like I miss the old Jarvis the butler. I don't know if he shows up in anything anymore, but uh, it seems like ever since the first Iron Man movie, he's kind of been (laughs) shown the door. Yep, like I feel like I mean, if it was Jarvis Butler in that situation, like he'd just be like hiding in the corner, like holding like a tray of like tea and cookies, like oh crap, oh man, Kang's here, oh god. They they get rid of him. They've killed Alfred in the DC universe. Uh, stop uh, taking these poor butlers and uh, giving them the shaft. Bring back the butlers. They're uh, continuing to uh, fight. He's pretty much uh, unstoppable. He says he's not there for the Avengers. Uh, he's here for Cap. He's come from the 41st century to eliminate Cap from the timeline. Is that what, based what? on a comic book storyline? That I wasn't sure about. I don't remember that a specific storyline about that. Um, and I was confused. Is it is Cap an anomaly or is it because he was a man out of time that he was in World War II and was suspended and then came out? Is that what it is? or? Uh, yeah, that's what it makes it seem like. Like, he shouldn't be there because he was supposed to, like, you know, die back in World War II. So, this is the first of a three-parter. So, I, I think it comes into play later on. But, like, just just because it's, like, I, it's kind of a tangent. But, like, we know in the MCU, right at the end of Endgame, that Steve Rogers uh, goes on the time platform. And he he's, you know, going to do something with the Infinity Stones. And he's traveling in the time stream. And it kind of made me think, like, you know, we know Chris Evans hasn't said he's not coming back. Like... I could see pulling elements from this because obviously the MCU pulled elements from Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Uh, I think in the next episode, the uh, space suit designs that the Avengers are wearing is exactly what they did in Endgame. Same like red and white suits. All that to say, like, I, I think that the story idea of Steve Rogers not belonging in the present and Kang like going after him for that is really cool. Like, I wish they I hope there's a comic storyline that that at least utilizes that. I mean, yeah, it would make a lot of sense in the in the MCU because of obviously Steve's gone to timeline he wasn't supposed to be in. Um, and I feel like the whole multiverse exists in the movies now, so at any point in time they can be like, "Hey, let's bring this guy back." And if anybody says, "Well, he's dead," ah, it's a it's it's a multiverse. It's a it's a different version. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see. I brought this up last week, and this is a little. I want to see a flashback to, and they can use the youth technology they and have Chris Evans fight Red Guardian from Black Widow. Just, oh. I think that would be, for no other reason other than I just want to see it. I mean, <laughs> there's no that plot would line, be sick. I would love to see that. No, that would be so cool. That would be so cool. Nah, that would, yes, I'm on board for that one. Kang says this is, he's going to save the world by doing this. Hulk actually tosses him through a wall, so finally someone yeah. managed to do some damage to Hulk. I mean, It looks like he Kang. actually breaks his force field with like brute strength. He's just like, Ugh. He says that uh, Cap has caused a disruption in the space-time continuum, and uh, it has destroyed his world and wiped his reality from existence. And he's tracked it all back to Cap. Now, maybe it would be more helpful if he could explain why it's gone back to Captain America. Like, you know, maybe they'd be like, okay, well, maybe that's something we can prevent. But he seems hell-bent on just being like, it's Cap's fault. It's because of you. I'm just going to kill you. and That's going to be the end of the story. Yeah. Like Kang is like a like a villain that I think part of what makes him so so good is that he's so ruthless. Like like, well, you know, he's kind of insane for 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 saying that. Like, yeah, like he's coming here to stop. I feel like it's just his way of being like, nah, like this is how I take out the Avengers. You're in my way. So so like maybe. Like, you know, like, I, I would believe that King is, like, almost lying about the fact that, like, Cap is causing that future destruction. You know, I think I think it probably is revealed that it's just King that's doing that. Like, it's just his part, again, part of his, like, machinations to just be like, Steve Rogers, you're in my way. This is how I get you out of the way. 
Well, I didn't mention it, but at the beginning, wasn't there a scene where there was like a female and like a status, like a force field that Kang was kind of pining over? Yes, yes. Assuming that's like part of the mystery, the MacGuffin, if you will, of, uh, of what's really going on here. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I think they, they're kind of setting that up in the MCU as well. Um, the uh, character in the TVA that was kind of like running everything and making sure Kang would ultimately like, you know, get his way is, is I think that same character, like, and in the comics, it's like his love interest. And like, they kind of have this whole like on again, off again, you know, romance through time. Well, then we could be onto something here. He, he throws these little mini bombs that kind of incapacitates everybody. But then out of nowhere, boom, Thor's hammer saves the day, comes out of nowhere and smacks Kane down. Yeah. This had my favorite line where Thor's like, uh, you wish to end a life? Well, you can start with ours. And Wasp is like, yeah, uh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wasp is great in this series as well. She's, uh, she's so cool. I've always been a big fan of, uh, of Wasp uh, in the comics. She's okay in the movies, but I've always been a big fan of that character because I've always liked that. How can I say this without people trying to get down my throat? They always try to overcompensate with a lot of female characters, you know, and I like how Wasp is like, they've always embraced the, the feminine side with her shopping and hair and makeup and liking all that stuff, but she still kicks ass at the same time. Yeah, I, yeah. Always th- I always thought it made her character stand out a little bit from some of the other female heroes. Yeah, for sure. Kang then shows them the future. The world is in ruins. The sun is even messed up. It's all Cap's fault. And even they just show that it's going to happen 10 years in the future. So it's not like it's a thousand years away. This is something they got to start worrying about now. In the future, uh, Tony, he can't connect to the internet. He can't connect to any radio lines. There's nothing going on. We find out this is all a result of the Kree-Skrull War, where even the sun is a victim. I assume that means they're going to do the Kree-Skrull War in this cartoon at some point. I'm going to have to just watch the whole cartoon now that uh, I'm asking you all these questions. I might as well just <laughs> watch every episode. Yeah, see, now I, I have to rewatch it because I, I, I feel like they do. But that's, that's such a the, – the, one of the best things about the series, again, like there's just so much payoff. They set things up. Like you know they're leading to certain things. Going back to like prematurely ending, like they, they were definitely setting up more and more to do. Because you'll get episodes where they like just introduce like the original Captain Marvel, uh, but then you they eventually get to Carol Danvers and like like by when this series was made, I don't know if in the comics she had become Captain Marvel yet, so we don't get that iteration. But like you get like the classic storyline adapted, but like even though in the comics maybe it was like ten or twenty years later, it's only like maybe ten episodes later where we're finally getting to that next point. So it, like condenses everything in a cool way too. Well, um, Hulk tries to smash him yet again. Um, he's the only one who seems to be able to do any damage. Mm-hmm. Kang says, this is where you get where, you know, he's not necessarily in the up and up because he says, not only is he going to eliminate Cap, he's going to conquer the present to prepare for war. Mm-hmm. So Great the old, you know, the old authority theory is the only way I can stop this is if I take over and <laughs> I call all the shots. Uh-huh. Steve, uh, says he's going to stand down. He would willingly stand down to prevent this from happening. Right. Stand always up guy, great, Steve Rogers. <laughs> always a great moment where Steve is going to always do the right thing if he can to prevent worse things from happening. Mm-hmm. Respect. Kang, of course, you know, deems himself uh, this world's only hope. And uh, <laughs> Tony says, well, he might be right, but he doesn't have to be such a jerk about it. <laughs> While they distract him, Tony, uh, well, first Ant-Man, he, cockroaches are still alive in this future because they can survive anything. So Giant-Man or Ant-Man, whatever he is, Hank Pym uses the cockroaches to attack Kang and distract him. Yeah, that's a great move. Kang uh, mouths off about how this fight seems futile. But Iron Man does get into his chair and he's trying to figure it all out, which uh, most of it's technology he's never seen before. Jarvis hasn't seen it anymore. But then he discovers... And even though it's futuristic, it's based on old Stark technology. Yeah. So you can get into the chair and uh, stop this from happening, sending them all back to the present, which Kang is not happy about. He is very <laughs> upset about that. Yeah. 
I mean, that whole battle while that's happening is is so good. Like the show is not only good about the dialogue and how like it presents the stories, but the the fight scenes are really well done. And like you get a showcase of in almost every battle, like it's always there are a lot of like Avengers versus one villain, but every character always kind of gets their little moment to shine and do like a cool, like special move. I always appreciate that about the battles in this show. Yeah, they're really good. I always stand by if you're going to have a cartoon or live action show, you can have a weak plot. You can have part of your episode be boring, but you better deliver on those fight scenes if you want to carry this through. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I stand by like the Black Adam movie is whatever the story, and but they really deliver on the superhero aspect of Black Adam when they yeah, fight. Exactly. The fight scenes are all great. Yep. I would actually, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I stand by. That's uh, more than anything you've got to deliver on those. The best story, the best dialogue, the best script. If you don't deliver on the superhero fights, yeah, you're really, you're, you're just sinking the ship. Yep. And yeah, this episode is no different. Like, and I mean that by like any fight in the show, you're, you're going to have a good time watching it. I should do, I'm going to do an episode once just on great fight scenes from cartoons and live action because <laughs> there's but. better fight scenes in this series not to say that this isn't a good fight but like one of my favorite fights in in uh, earth's mightiest heroes is they do a gamma world like a two or three parter and absorbing man i think he absorbs thor's hammer and it's pretty cool what happens after that but just him it's just a cool combination of elements of each avenger and the show is just so good. I could I could think of so many moments like that, but like it always pulls together like these cool moments. Like it's only a 20 minute episode, but it's such a great condensed Kang story. Like, yes, it's a three parter. But by the time we get to this moment in the episode, like it's wrapping up the things we're talking about where Steve and Tony are having that futurist conversation at the beginning. This is tying directly back to that in a cool way. Kang, he beans uh, back up to his ship and this has <laughs> To me, this is like a great cliffhanger, perfect cliffhanger that get get you excited for another episode where Kang says, uh, I'm going to show the 21st century how I earned the name Conqueror. Mm. And they pan back and you see all these other ships are, are appearing behind Kang's ship. And <laughs> great moment. And I'm like, that, that's how you leave everybody hanging, waiting to see what happens on the next episode. Yep. I, I almost feel like that could be like the the quantum mania and or post credits type, like get you hyped for King the Conqueror. You know what I mean? I definitely agree. I think that would be, I would think, <laughs> right? the post credit scene of the new Ant-Man movie of where he's kind of thwarted, but not completely. And at the end, you see that this guy now is really taking things to the next level. Mm -hmm. And there you have it. Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the man who stole tomorrow. Now, have you seen... The rest of uh, this recently, or is this? Uh, are you rem remembering the most of this three-parter from when you've watched it previously? Yeah, so like I definitely rewatched this episode. I didn't finish watching the other two, but like it, it's just from memory, and it's kind of like burned in my memory because again, like it was my first. I kind of just randomly watched this show when it came out. Like it was on when I watched it, it was on Netflix. Like I don't know, at some point this this was on Netflix, and. Um, like just watching it like made me like really appreciate like at that time, like I, I was in college and I'm like, you know, I, I wasn't really watching any like superhero like animated series. And I was like, maybe I'm past that point in my life for whatever reason. I wasn't definitely not. Still not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just it just blew my mind, like how how like the show just draws you in every episode. It's just it's just high caliber. It's like. I think a lot of people will dismiss animated series for whatever reason, but comic adaptation wise for just superhero television in general it's just so good and like i could picture like the character designs in the show like you said some people say they're blocky sure but like costume wise so accurate so bright and colorful and and comic book you know like accurate so those spacesuits that i'm going back to in endgame where it's like the the red and white like it's just such a cool avengers design that they made and like, again, it's adapting stuff, but they they inject their own uniqueness into their Avengers squad. And obviously, I love the show and I can keep rambling on about it. But like, there's something about it that just has always drawn me in. And like, I've rewatched it like after I've seen it. But I feel like I'm due for like a real rewatch again, because 
How could you just watch this one episode and be like, oh, oh, I'm done. Like, you want to know what happens next, you know? Well, I think what animation doesn't get credit for enough, especially if you're a comic fan, is that they're limited by nothing. They can do exactly all the craziest stories. They can do all the craziest superpowers. And so you never – you get more accurate stuff a majority of the time, I think, in animation than you do. Not to – I'm not knocking necessarily the shows and the movies, but uh, – Oh, yeah, definitely not. But animation is like uh, – I think people who read comics should give it, if you're not giving it more of a chance, you should, because this is a prime example. I mean, I've only watched this one episode, but to me, they they tweaked some designs, but they didn't go crazy with it. They kept all the same members. Uh, Kang is like perfect. He looks exactly out of the comic book. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those stories that's so, the stakes are so high. And that ending, that 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 cliffhanger to me is is stupendous. And and another thing about the show is that the roster is ever changing. Like, yes, you kind of have those core Avengers, but it expands in in, in a lot of areas. And and sometimes, you know, people leave and come back and like still comic accurate the way they shift the team and they introduce you to characters. Um, I've read a lot of comics, but when I watched this show, I hadn't read as many. And it introduced me to a lot of characters, a lot of lesser known characters like you like we're talking about Blizzard, like characters like that, like I never heard of. But gave me like the knowledge to like, even if I never read these characters, if I pick up a comic, I'm going to I'm going to be prepared to like know their backstory because this show does such a good job of adapting them. You know, going back to that, it's just like the show is just if you haven't seen it, you need to give it a shot. I mean, I'm judging on this one episode, but yes, I would agree with that as well, especially if you're an Avengers fan. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to get to our ranking system. Ooh. We're going to our spectrometer. Anyone new to the show, spectrometer is where we rank what we just saw. Zero spectros being absolute garbage. Four spectros being it just doesn't get any better. Anthony, how are you going to rank the man who stole tomorrow? Well, after that conversation, after everything I just said, it's clear that this show is absolute Gar- no, it's a four. Of course. Of course, a four. Oh, man. If I could give it higher than a four, I would. It's just, uh, I love it. I think it would be sacrilege to a lot of people if I was like, this is better than X-Men, the animated series, or Spider-Man, or Batman, the animated Ooh. series. <laughs> Some people would <laughs> take exception. So I, I don't want to be that blasphemous, let's say. Um, but but it, it it does rank up there for me, you know, like, and it's it's definitely worthy of of the time it takes to watch the two seasons that they have. I think you can watch it on Disney plus. It's definitely there. Um, and, and it, it's really crisp. Like the animation is like, yeah, you might say it's blocky, but it looks nice. Like it's uh super HD. Like it was made around a time where they like, I guess, you know, it was, it's not like in standard definition. It's just like, it feels like a fresh cartoon, you know, it doesn't. And, and at the same time, it feels like a classic comic book cartoon. It's not like a uh, computer animated. Let's say it's got that. I, I really like the animation style for it. So four, absolute four. I'm going to go close. I'll go th- three and a half. I, I think it's it's pretty good. It's not perfect, but I don't have a lot to complain about it. Some of the animation's a little, little choppy, but I thought the story was good, and uh, I liked the designs. It was fun. Kang was great on it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go three and a half. It's it's close to perfect, but it's uh, it's I don't have much to complain about. Nice, nice. At least you want to keep watching the show, right? Like, it's not like... I definitely would like to watch more of this. Nice. What did you think out there? Did you like it uh, as much as we did? uh, Or did you like it a lot less? If you didn't like it at all, that's okay. We're just two guys sharing our opinion. (laughs) It's nothing to get upset about. But you can find me on social media and let me know what you think. Find me on Twitter at Matt Spectro. And Facebook, you can find me at Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Anthony, I want to thank you for uh, joining us this week. Thank you, Matt. This was so much fun. I I really had a good time talking about this. I hope you'll uh, come back again. Oh, please. Yes, Uh, please. Yeah, I'm so down to come back again. I'll talk more Avengers, anything. Let's do it. And as always, we get to our uh, free plug part of the show. The floor is yours. Plug anything and anything you'd like to plug. Sweet. Thanks, Matt. Um, So I'm Anthony Iannaccio. I co-host the podcast Comics and Chronic. Um, we love talking about comic book, comic book movies, comic book TV show. We smoke a little something. We, you know, we're that kind of crowd. Um, so if that's if that's your speed, come and listen. Um, you could come and watch too. We also have a 
YouTube channel we just put out, Comics and Chronic. You just look for that on YouTube, at Comics and Chronic, the letter N, on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, any social media you could find us. I'm at Mr. Tony Nacho on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you find social media profiles, I'll be there. Um, and come talk comics with me. Let's be friends. Let's uh, listen to my podcast. I'll, I'll send you some stickers. Uh, and I'd love to have you on the podcast, Matt, for sure. Like, I mean, I'd love to return the favor and I'd love to talk about anything you want to talk about. I feel like uh, this was a fun conversation. So I had a really good time. I'd be honored to be on a, I've only been on a few, but I'd be honored to be on anybody's podcast, especially talking comic books. We're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to set something up for sure. And what day of the week do you guys usually release new episodes? Oh, right. You see, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> that big, big thing I forgot. Um, Comics and Chronic, new episodes every Thursday, every single Thursday, sometimes more than one a week. You know, we like throwing a little extra sometimes, but you'll see one every Thursday for sure. And this is uh, this episode's airing the day Kang makes his big screen debut. So do you think you'll be going to see the film over the weekend? Oh, I'm, I'm seeing it. Um, if you're listening to this on a Friday, I already saw it. I'm there Thursday <laughs> right after work, sitting in the movie theater, you know, waiting, waiting for that. The earlier showing I could go to. Uh, I got invited to go. I might go. It just depends. Uh, I got two children under the age of three, so it's not always easy. to. Oh, yeah, children. no, I'm sure that's tough. I'm sure that's tough. <laughs> but who knows? We'll see. Uh, I don't think there's any reviews in yet, so I can't even say whether or not uh, it's been uh, it's a hit or not with the critics. I, I have a feeling I'm going to like it. I just it seems like my kind of movie already. So. I like the other Ant-Mans, you know, so I have no reason to think I won't like this one. I really like the first one. The second one is okay, but it doesn't, it's, I guess forgettable might be, it's not bad, it's just I don't, it doesn't stick out in my mind as much. The first one I liked a lot, but I also, I'm a big fan of like origin story movies, so that, uh, and you can't fault that fight at the end with Yellow Jacket and him on the, on the, uh, the toy trains. <laughs> that was so cool. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us this week. And uh, if you could uh, like and subscribe to my podcast, I appreciate it as well. Uh, until then, though, uh, you can find me on social media and find me again next week. Oh, I just wanted to let everyone know we're coming up in March. We're going to start the countdown to my two-year anniversary episode. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, a giveaway, a prize on that episode. More details uh, coming up, but I just want to let people know about that in advance. And thanks for listening. Until then, we'll see you again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectrum Through the Multiverse, everyone. Excelsior!